Don't ask me to talk. Connection through conversation. Join self-described conversationalist Stacy Heller as she talks with guests about topics and ideas from the ridiculous to the sublime on Don't Ask Me to Talk. Now, here's your host, Stacy Heller. Hello and welcome to Don't Ask Me to Talk. It is December 8th. Time is ticking, ticking, ticking into the future. Um, so first, before I do anything, I want to say happy 50th birthday to Dave. I remember when I was 50 last year. Uh, in March, I'll be celebrating the one-year anniversary of my 50th birthday. I'm not there yet. I'm still a few years away. And happy birthday, Dave. Okay. I haven't introduced you yet. Well, you looked at me like you wanted me to talk, so I just took well, the Well, it's kind of true. Um, so, wishing you well, Dave. In the meantime, I am joined today by my friend, sometimes colleague, client, and just buddy, um, J.D. Winnikin. Welcome. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. It's fun to be back. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he and I, I feel like we already did the show like twice today because yeah. whenever we get together and we talk, <laughs> we just talk about everything from, dare I say it, the ridiculous to the sublime. Right. Very true. All of it with the same amount of energy and level of importance. Yes. In fact, right before we went on, um, again, I'll use the moniker, poor Eric had to put up with us doing our live aid and whatever, whatever the other one was, um, imitations of Bono screeching out the words to the Christmas song. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah was... With like the cans on and like, you know, going into the microphone like we're super cool. I think our hair is much better, though, than... I think it's aged much better for us than I think it did for them, the hairstyles of 1985. Well, yes. However, when we look back, we're going to look back and be like, what were we thinking? And people will look back on us and, yeah, 40 years from now and say the same thing. Exactly. Uh, So today I'm going to actually do this earlier. I'm going to let people know that if they want to call in and connect or ask questions, that you can call 425-373-5527. And I would love to chat with you and um, hear what you have to say or answer questions or just generally connect because, you know, Stacy does like to connect. Um, so as per usual, J.D., we yeah. are going to do some follow up from last week's show. Sure. So last week I had Vance. Love Vance. Who doesn't love Vance? And love now even Eric loves Vance. Not that that's hard to believe, but um, we basically plied Eric with food. Well, it makes sense, particularly when it's Vance's food. Right. I mean, it was good stuff. I think you got latkes, didn't you? I did, and they were delicious. They're so good. Everything he makes is good. Um, and and I actually, I don't know if Vance knows this. I'm not sure if I've told him this or not, but I actually have regular pastrami dreams. So like about, the meat sweats? No, it's not the meat sweats. <laughs> it's actually dreams where his pastrami sandwich is either somewhere nearby or part of the dream or a central part of the dream. I've had... I've had dreams where um, I walk into my kitchen and it's lined with his pastrami sandwiches. That's so it's that good. Wow! Wow! Yeah, that could be like a, a commercial for him or something. It could could kind of like those commercials of, of people who uh, sleepwalk and empty their fridge. Well, and do you remember Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with Robin Leach? I do. And it was like you know caviar wishes and you know something dreams. <laughs> pastrami dreams. Exactly. You're like <laughs> I'm having you know champagne wishes and pastrami dreams. Celery soda wishes. 
and pastrami dreams is what I would say. Celery soda. That's he knows what I'm talking about. Okay, I'll I'll go ahead and I'll I'll believe that. It's good. Okay. Um. So anyway, so Vance was on, and then on the show, I had said that I was going to connect Rick and Vance, and darn if I didn't do it. Now, granted, I had some help from mutual friend Kelly Lynch. You know Kelly well mm-hmm. as well. Um, and we took a little field trip. We went shopping for um, seniors, which was Kelly's idea, because obviously there's so many seniors out there. Speaking of non-seniors, by the way, I'm just going to say a little shout out to mom and um, Diane and Lee. Uh, last week, Lee, um, actually Diane took offense at the fact that I was referring to them as elders or elderly. Oh. Right. I said elders, which is like a respectable thing, mm. not elderly, mm. you know, like an elder statesman. Anyway, there are some elders that are um, a little bit more isolated socially than others. And so Kelly had the idea of going and picking up some things that uh, they might appreciate in communities that live around us. So we took Rick, and when I say we took Rick, Rick pushed the cart, and we loaded it up with some things, and um, we picked those items up, and then we took a field trip into Dinkfelder's. How'd that go? Oh, my gosh. I have a video of Rick unwrapping the paper and trying the sandwich, and it's priceless. I bet. And then I have a live photo, and I can't figure out how to like use it as a video or something because with iPhones, when you take your photo, um, for some reason I always have mine on live. I don't know because I'm 50 and I don't know how to use my phone. And <laughs> so when you press it, you see him say, I'm at Carnegie Deli. Oh, New York. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And like that's a million-dollar endorsement right there. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's a million-dollar endorsement just to be getting that reaction from – from Rick Riz on anything, but certainly on food that Rick, obviously, based on your show and how he oh. talks on, on Mariner broadcasts about all the food that he likes. That's a big, big compliment. A big compliment. Yeah. And the two of them were like pigs and poop because between talking about food <laughs> and talking about baseball and, you know, the whole thing, it was Kelly and I were like, all right, guys, TikTok, we got to go. <laughs> <laughs> but it was amazing, and I loved it. And so you can check out my um, my Instagram. I made an Instagram page for the show, which is, uh, by the way, if you want to follow it, D-A-M-T-T show. And then you'll have picture proof because I got a picture of Vance and Rick together. That's great. Um, okay. Also update on Percy. Oh, yeah. This is important. This is really important. So last week, while I was uh, giving the show – or doing the show. I wasn't giving the show. Um, Percy was being picked up from the vet after his, um, or getting checked out from the vet. And we were seeing if he got a clean bell, bell, bill of health. And he, he did. They did. Oh, good. They did. Um, and so Percy is home. Percy has the saddest looking uneven leg warmers. It is very um, flash dance era like looking leg warmers because the front paws where they put the meds, they shave him. Oh, okay. So one is higher than the other, and it just looks very flash dance. Has anybody been seeing he's a maniac? maniac. Well, he that's is a maniac. F- that's from that movie, right? Did oh, I yeah. get that right? Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Oh, totally. Nothing worse than getting a movie quote reference wrong. 
Yeah. Well, actually, there's plenty worse, but that would not be good. With my tens of listeners that might call up to oh, t- give it some time to say something. Oh, that's the type, and that's the type of thing that would actually get people to call. Oh no, that's wrong. That's the wrong thing. Oh, that's true. Actually, right. people get very serious they about do. these things. So Percy's doing so much better, and um, and is a maniac, and just looks really needs to grow some fur back because. Between his underbelly, which weirdly when he lies a certain way sort of looks like a fanny, and then the weird leg warmers, and then a bald spot on the back, he, yeah, it's an interesting look. I'll post a picture on my Instagram. See, another reason that's to follow better, my Instagram. That's the good spot. Um, okay, mom. Speaking of mom. Yes. So when last we spoke, mom and her group of people in her courtyard got the tree up. And they worked very hard on getting the lights up. And then, of course, it turns out they were supposed to get like a hurricane and the tree fell over. So now the tree is all but cemented down. So this week's request from mom was to do research on an electric fire pit. I know. It's giving you pause. You're thinking an electric fire pit. Is that a thing? It's well, a thing. I know I, I know what she's talking about. My parents have one. Electric or gas? Oh, no. I guess that, that there's is propane. Right. Yes. Okay. So I have this vision of, again, always the references, like in um, Vacation, the holiday movie, whatever it's called, Holiday Vacation. Christmas Vacation. Yeah, that one. Um, with a really long extension cord. Oh, yes. Right. So it's not an electric fire pit that you need, Mom. It's a gas fire pit. Yeah, it's got like a propane tank connection like a barbecue does. Right. Right. But I think maybe... None of them know how to use it, or they're going to have to hire somebody to come out and, and turn it on each time for them. Now, they're in eastern Pennsylvania, right? They are in Newtown, Pennsylvania, which is outside of Philly and like a half an hour from Princeton, New Jersey. It's okay. like just over the border. It's pretty cold to be outside for a. Well, this is why they wanted the full body bags. Did oh, you hear me talking yes. about that? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean. And I did a whole bunch of research, and you can find them in, like, they actually have them at REI and a whole bunch of other places. Not, They're not just at police departments anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or or outdoors at, like, those outdoor shopping malls that have them outside the restaurants. Yeah, that's where you would see them a lot, too. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Wait, the fireplace or the body bag? Uh, both, actually. I've seen them in both. I have never seen. That's With- right. I've seen the body bag. Before. With like for, legs and a hood and the whole thing. It's a sleeping bag that is. Yeah, like I've seen I've seen places that have them. Or either that or there were people who had them who took them along. That's probably more likely. Wow. Yeah. But the fire pit, definitely. Those outside ones. Um, they're all over the place. And there's pushing those outdoor mall type places that have been really popular the last 15 years that big, people have been building. Big time. Have them all out there. Well, and um, maybe I need to have like a GoFundMe for mom and for the courtyard and we can get her hand warmers and so then they can sit outside and we can do like a bar cart under a tent you could i if you're gonna do a gofundme do one for me i want one well don't we all want one well we do but you know (laughs) okay well you're gonna have to show that you're needy my mother is needy she cannot (laughs) afford both hand warmers and her 17th pair of rothy's i'm not touching anything about that at all (laughs) <laughs> so she's doing well. That's good. Yes. And um, then the other exciting news from today. Today I had my first COVID test. 
baby's first COVID test. What do you say to something like that? Like, I I never know. Like, my first inclination was to say congratulations, but that doesn't work. Well, and it's, it's kind of weird. So first of all, it's funny. Pete and I both went. Pete works at Microsoft, and so we went over to Microsoft, and so... We had a little afternoon COVID test. It was like a precursor to our usual Tuesday night date night. Like, hey, honey, want to go have a COVID test? Um, so that was exciting. Neither of us have any symptoms. Right. You're doing this precaution. I mean, I think you should give a little bit of context here. Yes. There's this, I know, this but is this is how you get people like, what's going on? And you create like scandal oh, and I intrigue. See. And I just see what popped I'm doing? that balloon. Sorry. Right. So thanks a lot for that. You're welcome. Um, yes. I. Neither of us have any symptoms at all and it is really something that we're doing because I don't know about the rest of you but it almost feels like the noose is getting tighter and tighter around you and so when you start to hear of people that are once twice thrice removed from you that are exposed to somebody you sort of feel like and it's just that you know it's tightening it does it it, it's for the last few weeks it's felt that way where where more and more people that you know are either having to get tested or are testing positive or you're wondering. It's it's sort of been nibbling at the edges of some of my circles as well. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it does feel that way. So, I mean, in a precautionary sense, particularly if you're helping somebody move or anything like that, it's, well, right, and family that's, stuff. That's, that's the whole, so the whole gist of it is because of that. So Annie is moving into her own place and she gets access to it Um this week and if we want to help her and we want to spend time with her she is a high school special ed teacher and she's teaching these kids in person and so she takes it as we all should by the way very very seriously and really wants to be sure that her bubble is in some ways smaller than ours sure and so she just wants to be sure and it occurred to me that the price to pay to hang out with Annie and to reduce her stress level and her anxiety level, it's a small price to pay. Oh, it's an easy call. It's Such easy an call. easy call. And by the way, it wasn't that bad. You had the, you had the nasal swab, yeah? Yes. Uh-huh. I, had to, I had to face the wall like a child that was in trouble, blow my nose, use hand sanitizer, um, stick the swab up my nose, twist 10 times. The lady did count. Wow. And then put it in the little thing, and Pete already got his results back. Right. Now they don't do they don't administer it themselves. Like they. No, I you do it to yourself. Wow. How do they know you got far enough? Well, I think she was watching, like measuring the the distance like, of the swab. Right. Yeah. Like, did I lose my hand and my nose? Yes. So <laughs> <laughs> I've gone high enough. It's <laughs> a visual. Wow. Right. I'm so, glad it wasn't uncomfortable. That's that's what everybody talks about is the discomfort of the whole thing. I just felt like I had to sneeze for a couple minutes after. I bet. Well, yeah, because it's foreign body. Right, right. Although as a kid, I was a nose picker. <laughs> so I wow. think that helps you. Yes, I outed myself. Now you're building your audience for sure. Right? <laughs> there are a lot of people out there that will not admit it, but it's true. That's true. And if you were a nose picker, do not be afraid to take the COVID test. It's fine. It's just like when you had to get a big booger. It's <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous in the sublime. I, that, right? Which one was that? Exactly. Yeah. Ridiculous. Um, but I think, you know, so my weekly Stacyism then, right? Yeah. So as I said, the price to pay to reduce an anxiety level 
for ourselves, for Annie, it's well worth it. And um, today's Staceyism is actually compliments of Annie. Okay. Who, like her mother and like her siblings, deals with anxiety. Um, and Annie taught me in the past couple of years, do not tell someone with anxiety not to worry. That is mm-hmm. like throwing fuel on an already raging fire. Mm-hmm. And it's such the classic thing that parents do, I do, even as somebody that deals with anxiety, you know, you're rushing through the airport and, you know, your kid with anxiety is like, are we going to make the plane? And you say, don't worry about it. We're fine. As you're rushing and whatever. And you may or may not make the plane. Right. And if you don't. Right. They had reason to worry. And but they've been told that they don't have reason to worry. Right. So I have learned so much about that, and it's nice to know that the ship has not sailed, that you can um, still continue to learn. And actually, Annie showed me this great book that I have. I've bought it a couple times now. Um, It's a little cartoon book, and it's called, which I kind of love, Kind of Coping, (laughs) An Illustrated Look at Life with Anxiety. You can find it on Amazon. It's by Maureen Wilson. And it so demonstrates what people that have anxiety are thinking in a way that's not, you know, preachy or teachy or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. just such a great way to illustrate how this feels. She also has a book about introverts. And is it a kid's book? I mean, no. Yes and no. Meant to to be pretty straightforward and easy to digest. It's, It's meant to really to to illustrate what it's like. And I think she has also a Instagram page where she posts things. And I think it's called like introvert doodles or something. And it's just such a great way when you can't articulate some of the the feelings that you have when you have anxiety and the way that this woman illustrates them and shows scenarios or situations Mm -hmm. and how somebody with anxiety may react to that. Yeah. I've learned so much. I read it cover to cover. Probably be a good book for me to 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 read as well because I've I've got friends and family that that deal with anxiety, and uh, and I think sometimes, particularly when I'm in really tough conversations, um, even if I'm amped up or something like that, I can articulate pretty clearly, generally speaking, with most people what I'm thinking and feeling. Mm-hmm. But what I've noticed is that with friends and loved ones who are dealing with anxiety, trying to respond to that in the midst of their anxiety coming up and and I'm a pretty, I can be a pretty intense person when in conversations and it can put people back on their heels and they don't answer. And then, of course, I, without thinking about it, I'm mm-hmm. wanting more answers faster. And it just exacerbates the problem. Talk about throwing fuel on the fire. And so oh. I've, I've had to be more, not, not just that, but I mean, I, I deal with anxiety myself sometimes around specific things as well. And I need the same thing. Mm-hmm. I need somebody to just recognize that I don't have words to explain or to give or anything like that in a given moment. Yep. Um, it always seems to me that curiosity in those situations is is best. You know, I sense that this is happening to you. Right. Is that accurate? What can I do to hold that space for you? Or yep. Just things like that. Curiosity, wondering what it is. I have a tendency in my worst moments to already decide what's actually happening. Oh, yeah. And then try to put them in a corner. Uh, without meaning to. And it's the worst possible thing because then they don't feel seen and they can't relax. And 
Right. Yeah. It brings no comfort at all. Right. So in this case, the obvious thing to do was just to take a COVID test. I was curious anyway, what, you know, what's mm. all the fuzz about? Um, everybody's doing it. And so now I've done it and I can say I've done it's it. It's a sad statement. <laughs> everybody's doing it. Whatever. Oh, man. Um, okay. So we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk to JD and find out what's his story. All right. The pandemic has proven that your home is more than just the roof over your head. It's where you and your family spend most of your time. If your current home no longer fits your family or lifestyle, contact Brenda Morris, real estate advocate and agent of change. She believes you should love where you live. And with Brenda Morris Real Estate, your needs always come first. Brenda has a proven system and resources to help you. Personal service, professional standards, and exceptional experience. Call Brenda at 425-466-2595 or visit her website, sellbybrenda.com. That's sell, B-U-Y, Brenda.com. Stacy Heller of Stacy Connects likes doing two things talking and connecting people with their potential. If you'd like to talk about your potential with Stacy, contact her at Stacy at StacyConnects.com. Broaden your horizons. You'll be amazed at all the topics we cover on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Don't Ask Me to Talk. I am Stacy Heller, and I am here with Dr. J.D.K. Winnikin. You know, the full title. Okay, thank you. I'm Mrs. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of fun. I, I, um, I sometimes forget that that's part of my official title, and I, I actually am pretty happy about that because when I'm really proud of the fact that I got, I got a Ph.D. in history, uh, I think 2007 is when I graduated, and I was so excited about it back then that I, I actually made everybody in my family and all my friends call me doctor for a year. Well, you earned it. I did. And, and, and you it was. pretentious snob. It, totally. Exactly. So, so there was an element of, yeah, that's okay. And then an element of sort of the pretentious academic kind of thing. And to give them credit, they played along. Now, now they were allowed to call me doctor blankety blank if they wanted to, but they just had to. <laughs> They just had to call me doctor, and it was, and it would just, it'd be fun to kind of tweak my, my folks sometimes. You know, they roll their eyes, calling my name, calling my name, calling mm-hmm. my name, and I wouldn't answer. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's it's interesting when I hear it. I have more these days going, oh yeah, right, that, oh that's yeah, there. that's me, that's me. <laughs> um, so I call this segment, "What's Your Story," which is even more apt because. Mm. I don't know. I'm going to argue more importantly than the fact that you are a doctor, PhD, blah, blah, blah. Um, you are an author mm-hmm. and you are in the midst of, like we all are, writing your own story. Um, and what I so appreciate about you, JD, is that you are the perfect, you're like the poster child for somebody's story unfolding, right? So. <laughs> It's like, and stories get better over time and people don't appreciate it. So like the first few chapters of your life are about like, you know, character development and like setting the stage and introducing some like key characters and, you know, the settings for context so that you know like why you're messed up later on, right? Right. And then um, 
And then there's various conflicts along the way, but they're not like the real conflict. Mm -hmm. Like the real conflict comes later once all of those things that impacted you when you were a kid start getting applied to like real adult stuff. Right. Like jobs and relationships and functioning in the real world. That's where the real conflict starts to arise. Because <laughs> the rest of it is like you can skate through, right? I'm envisioning my you putting my life on the plot mountain scale that we all learn in middle school. Right. right? The, the setting, the conflict, the rising action. This is what I'm talking about. But now I think that um, stories start to kind of heat up later and they create, you start to get interesting story arcs. And that's where... Interestingly, we both are. Mm. So, but, you know, for once, I'm not going to talk about me, which is so not true, but it's fine. Um, we roll. We just roll with it. You are at a point where you have interesting story arcs happening to you and changes. And, you know, and then towards the end of your story, there's like resolution and blah, blah, blah. Um, and everything's tied up with a nice, neat bow. But like oh. where you are right now, this is the good stuff. It is really the good stuff. I, I appreciate you saying that. I, I used to be the poster child for what not to do. <laughs> so, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful to uh, not be in that space anymore. And, and really what I've been learning is if that's true, certainly finding resolutions and leaving things in the past and kind of getting over the climactic points in life that we all have. There's another plot mountain to start right after that. Mm -hmm. You know, that that process doesn't really, really end. That said, to take that to take that metaphor out further, um, after you've hiked a mountain or two, you're better at it than the first time that you mm -hmm. did it. And you know, you know, you know what shoes to bring. You know how to pace yourself. You know where not to go. You know not to go off the trail too far. Right. You know. Um, In my case, you know not to go on the hike to begin with. <laughs> that's not true either. <laughs> I mean, that's not that true either. Hideous. It's it's you know for me, I guess what we're talking about is is. I've decided in the last couple of years to to make that that journey from being the poster child of what not to do to hopefully not doing that anymore. Um, a little bit more public, talking about it um, in my writing, on my website, um, in indirectly, uh, but very realistically uh, in the novel that I wrote. Well, so I want to talk about that. Sure. So the whole reason that... Um the what's your story is so applicable to you is, as I mentioned, you're an author and we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. Um, and I was struck by this idea that, you know, you wrote a book and as a result, you rewrote your life or not rewrote your life, but actually you took control of the narrative mm -hmm. of your life story. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, all of the things that have, happened in this you writing the book and all of the things that have fallen out from that and fallen out in a good way shook out in the happened. end in the end yeah um it's been an interesting process so tell all of my listeners about your book which okay. is not out yet and if there's any publishers listening contact me please or agents let's have a conversation or agents. yes please, uh, please. absolutely uh the book is as i mentioned i have a phd in history and it's 20th century modern european history Modern Germany, modern Russia, and modern Japan were my main interests. And Think World War II, folks. World War II, yeah. All the happy stuff, right? Uh, two world wars, the Holocaust, Stalin's Gulag, all those things. Great Depression. And um, ever since I was a kid, I, I really, really enjoyed fictional stories that seemed very real and authentic, whether they were 
based in history or whether they were fantasy uh, or whatever, like Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, where mm-hmm. he wrote his own language for it. You know, that type of stuff just blew me away as a kid. And a few years ago, in the midst of, of rebuilding my life in recovery from addiction, uh, I started digging back and going, what are the things that I didn't do that I always wanted to do? And that was the first thing uh, that I really wanted to do. I wanted to write books like that. And I was in a space when I finally started the book about four or five years ago, where I felt like I'd learned enough from this plot mountain that we just talked about, mm-hmm. where I could apply all the best things that I loved about history with my writing and, and my creativity and just the idea I had for this book. And I wrote a book uh, that's a historical uh, fiction, but it's a, the subgenre is uh, alternate history fiction. Mm-hmm. I've essentially taken one historical event that everybody really knows about, the D-Day invasion of June 6, 1944 in Europe, and I changed the outcome. Bum, 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 bum. And instead of a victory, uh, as it was in, in history, it was a defeat. And I wrote a story about how the world looked differently after that in Europe. Without American and British troops on the continent after that, the Soviet Union is the only army that can defeat Nazi Germany on the ground, and they end up occupying all of Europe. Uh, And so then I set the story in that. But the story is actually about individuals having to recover from the trauma of war and and having to take accountability for their past. What do they learn? How do they grow? How do they connect with themselves first Mm -hmm. and then with others? And as I've said in my podcast, as well as in in other venues, I was only halfway to two thirds through that process when I realized that the main character's journey was essentially my emotional journey that I'd been on for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And I call it, I think, an accidental autobiography that way. So that's what it's about. It's it's awesome. Thank you. It's a fascinating time in history. Mm -hmm. And the domino effect that you think about that, I mean, I remember having a conversation with you one day and, you know, if you play that out, that scenario, I'm like, so wait, how does that affect like Captain America in the Marvel universe? Yeah, right. You know, like the things that you write, that you weirdly well okay maybe i'm the only one that weirdly thinks of those things but you know in terms of maps of where you know lines are drawn and history that doesn't happen Mm -hmm. and people that aren't around and just all of these things it's it's fascinating and you have a part two and three in you i do and and part two is already underway um it's just kind of made sense to push it that way um the butterfly effect is interesting to everybody Right. The idea of, you know, butterfly flaps his wings on the western side of the Pacific. It causes a hurricane on the eastern side. And um, knocks over my mother's tree. Knocks over her tree. Right. And or Joan. <laughs> blame the butterfly. Right. Uh, but that can be overdone, certainly, with various things. But but big historical events like D-Day. Uh, what's fun. What was fun about the exploration of that was when I was doing the world building in advance. I, you know, just talking about it with friends of mine who are also historians and others. Uh, it could very well have had a, a massive effect on events in places well beyond the coast of Normandy. And mm-hmm. I'm going to save that for later books because later books, I think, will particularly the third book in terms of the setting, uh, w- which will be mostly in East Asia and Southeast Asia in the third book, uh, will be really surprising to people. So, yeah, I sort of think that big picture. Well, and one thing that I love is so... The name of the book is Krella's Inferno. Yes, named after the main character whose name is Garen Krella. It's his journey. And in the beginning of the book, you have um, an excerpt from Dante's Inferno. I do. And this idea that you have to go through kind of all these layers of hell Mm -hmm. in order to come out the other side, which 
is in keeping with your personal story, which people can learn more about on your podcast, you actually have a full season up. Um, anywhere where you listen to podcast folks, look for Building from the Bullet Hole. Yes. And it's also at my website, uh, wordsbyjdk.com. And, you know, it's fascinating story and, and JD's story and and all of that. But what I want to talk about is this idea of going through hell in order to come out the other side. Mm-hmm. Sort of like, I don't know, 2020. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. you you used in your podcast and you talked you talk often about how with your own life you basically torched your life and burned it down and then have had to rebuild from it Mm -hmm. and so i figure you're a good one to talk about rebuilding after a dumpster fire (laughs) (laughs) mine mine i mean yes there are things i can comment on with that but it's worth keeping in mind that that my dumpster fire was self-inflicted I filled the I filled the container. I poured the fuel on it. I lit the match. Yes. You know, so with COVID, it's it's something from the outside, which which certainly then per, can produce responses in us that you know could light some things on fire. No doubt. Yes. Well, and I think you know. So one, the bigger message here is that whether it's self inflicted or something's happened to you, that even if everything burns down, now, folks. I'm clearly talking, you know, like I'm painting with a wide brush here. And there's certainly people that have lost their income, lost their lives, lost loved ones, and those kind of things. But if you think about after a forest fire, after a fire, and how it clears everything away, and you're left with this really rich soil that is weirdly full of nutrients, and you can sow some seeds, and you can, it is possible to rebuild. It is, and in, and and it's not to say that it's necessary to burn things down or have them burn down to rebuild and build something better. But if something does burn, forest burns or something like that, the, the very ingredients that are needed for something new to grow come out of that. I've used the analogy many times when I lived in Hawaii as a kid. My parents used to sometimes take us to go watch the lava flows on the big island where we lived. Mm-hmm. And I was always blown away by the fact that you had this, this literally this unstoppable force you can't, you know, you can't fire a, a fire hose at that and slow it down. Right. It's going to go as long as it goes. And yet, that force of destruction has every ingredient inside of it once it cools and sets for new things to grow. And it changes the topography of things. It adds, it adds land. Mm-hmm. Right? It does wipe out homes. It does wipe out vegetation. But those things can come back. Right. Look at the difference. So it, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's. For me, that was really the only hopeful thing early on in the process of recovery for me was the, the promise of that, uh, that I was fortunately able to see other people who that had become true for mm-hmm. around me. So I didn't have to believe that it could happen for me at first. I just had to believe it could happen for somebody else and therefore then could be possible. Which I love that when yeah. you interviewed um, your sponsor. Oh, you're talking about Jay Parker. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Not on my sponsor. Your, um, on your podcast. My friend. Your friend, he's My not buddy. your sponsor, sorry. Okay. Um, he talked about that in his own story and yeah. that the person that helped him said, you don't have to believe it for you. You just have to believe it worked for me. And yeah. I was like, oh, I mean, and that's true of of really everything. It is. And, and honestly, the only way, you know, not speaking for Jay, but certainly speaking for me, 
The only way I was going to be able to hear that and hold on to that was if everything had sort of already burned. And right. this was the thing that I had to look at because I was way too capable of of rationalizing and justifying anything I was doing to try to avoid, you know, all the emotions and all the problems that that were leading me down a path of destruction in the first place. With that destruction already having happened, and I was still standing. I mean, that was the amazing thing. Everything I thought that I couldn't stand to lose, that I would not survive losing, I lost, and I was still standing there. Right. And so I was sort of playing, you know, I, I joke about this. Um, I felt like I was playing with house money. Mm-hmm. For a long time and still sometimes do, right? Because uh, because of just how hopeless things really could feel. And so it was only then that I was able to really consider the possibility that something different could happen, right? And, and that was play that out. maybe meant to happen. I mean, you and I talked about this earlier today. We were talking about 2020 and you almost feel it's been a banner year for me, mm-hmm. which I almost feel like it's blasphemy to say it out loud. Same you for know, me. Mm-hmm. The my radio show, woot woot, and you know my business doing well and um, getting closer and closer to the intersection of using my gifts and talents mm-hmm. and making them really work for me. And the same thing for you. You know, going from completing and editing your book having a podcast and, you know, then that turning into a website where you're doing weekly posts. Mm -hmm. Your post that you just did um, this past Sunday was so good. I shared it on my uh, Instagram. Thank you. All about spam, folks, and the different perspectacles of Yeah, the the processed meat, not the junk mail that you get. Right, right. Um, You know, so good. And... And now a little birdie tells me that you may be doing your own radio show. Yeah, that is possible. Uh, there's actually, I, I think it's safe to say it's probable at this point. I think uh, it's, safe, I think to it's say. safe to say. And um, yeah, and that will allow me to, uh, you know, do more shows like this more often mm-hmm. uh, and talk about a few more of these things in depth. And I'm excited about that. And it's, it's not anything I necessarily would have expected a year ago, and if we go back two years ago, I never would have expected doing a podcast in the first place mm-hmm. or having my own website or doing these articles that we're talking about, and yet here here I am. And it's, I think that's one of the things about the rebuild as well is when, is when things burn down and become as open as possible to things coming back in a way that you aren't anticipating or that you wouldn't have expected, uh, it makes it easier. And it's, mm-hmm. um, and, it's, and it's easier to connect with the joy of all that. It's, it is strange to say, it's been a banner year because we have this constant weight that we right. all wake up with and they're all aware of, of, of COVID. And yet, what does that do? It exposes things like our expectations for how things are supposed to go. And mm-hmm. then how do we cope when things don't go the way we want them to go? Uh, it highlights what really matters and what doesn't. The people that matter, right? Who stays in? Mm-hmm. Who doesn't? Mm-hmm. Uh, what things do you prioritize? It actually has encouraged us to take a look at how we treat other people and what choices do we make in our own life that can protect other people. Something as simple as wearing a mask, that huge debate, which frankly shouldn't be a debate, but the fact that it is, does indicate that we were talking about things that a year ago we were not having public conversations about. Well, and before we, before I take a break here, the thing that we have to remember about a a dumpster fire (laughs) is that it was trash, 
Like what we're getting rid of mm. is trash. No longer serves us. So instead of it being a negative thing to have a dumpster fire, how about the fact that we're getting rid of all that trash and we're making room for something else? Absolutely. And better the dumpster catch on fire than your house. Amen, sister. Right. Okay. Um, so I want to talk about Textiso. Okay. Because Textiso is awesome. So statistics... Did I say that right? Statistics show that 98% of text messages are opened compared to just a fraction of emails. So whether you want to market to your clients or message your team, staying connected is more important than ever. Textiso offers an actionable way to see an immediate impact on your messaging. You can call 888-605-0048, write it down, 888 605-0048, and you can learn more about what Textiso can do for you. From loyalty programs and marketing to COVID updates and closures, Textiso is text communication for business and life. Now, a perfect example of how Textiso is working for me is if you text D-A-M-T-T to the number 55678, then you will get links to my podcast and I'll be able to let you know when things are happening and you will open it because you just can't stand that little green dot or whatever color it is that shows that you have an unread text message. Very true. Stacy, what's that number again? I'm glad you asked. Text D-A-M-T-T to 55678 to get my information. And if you want to know more about Textiso, call 888 0048. And yes, Stacy, I'm glad you asked about why they don't have a text number. I'll be asking Textiso how we can text them to ask information about their text communications. Sounds like a good question. Right? Sure. And as Elmo says, asking questions is a good way to find things out. <laughs> okay, that was a bad impression. Um, Better than I could have done. Also, this just in. Boop, 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 boop. My test for COVID was negative. Oh, hey, that's really good. I'm happy to hear that <laughs> from where I'm sitting. From Yes, for you first, I think, uh, but also for me. That's great news. Right? I thought so. Um, <laughs> okay, so something that Jay and I, JD and I, not Jay, JD and I love to do is we love to do the whole curveballs thing. We oh, love yeah. coming up with random questions. We have had entire lunches that we have videoed and had conversations, and it's because of JD that I'm going to call today curveballs and caveats because we have so many darn caveats to our topics. We can't put too many out of them on this one, though, because we only have so much time. Well, <laughs> so I know, right? Right. Okay. Okay. So. And I have, by the way, everybody, I have no idea what I'm about to be asked here. I know. Ready? Yeah. So what, if anything, is too serious to be joked about? And by the way, assume that you're not like at an airport and subject to immediate arrest. Right. So you can't call out certain things in an airport. Right. Like, so, I mean, right. Minus the obvious. Uh, what else would be obvious? There's caveat number one. Well. Or is that the question? Well, the question is, though, what if anything is too serious to be joked about? Oh, man. Um and, and then the first caveat being, like, that you're not endangering the lives of others. That's a good 
that's a good baseline. Well, and right. It's not, you know, anything that's not injuring the well-being of others, yes, physically or... Well, and we're in such a sensitive, understandably sensitive society yeah. that you think about the number of actors, politicians, comedians, regular folks... Um, that have had like a mea culpa about, you know, the time that they did fill in the blank or that they said fill in the blank. Um, And, you know, as Maya Angelou says, when you know better, you do better. And Mm -hmm. so over the course of time, we learn about the impact that words have or, you know, how we've maybe commandeered a certain word in the English language and, you know, now it's not okay and whatever. So I'm not really talking about that, but I'm talking about... Let's see. Here's another caveat. So I guess I'm thinking, you know, like, are you the kind of guy that laughs at a funeral? <laughs> I I can laugh at a lot of things. Um, and I, I honestly don't know sometimes if I should, if it's okay that I'm laughing at something. It is to me, obviously. Um, I love satire of any kind. Any kind. So satire on television, a lot of animated series that are out now are all mm-hmm. satire. Mm-hmm. And seemingly you can get away with a lot more in an animated series than you can in a live action oh. series, which is its own set of questions. Watch an episode of Big Mouth. Right. Or Family Guy or, right. or South Park. All shows that I like. And uh, because my thought is if you are going to joke about something in a show like that, be an equal opportunity offender. Right? Right. Nobody, either, either something, something needs to be sacred or nothing needs to be sacred. Uh, it's got to be one or the other in satire, at least. When it comes to joking about it on an interpersonal level, a TV show is one thing. Right. That's a difficult question for me to answer. What I can say, though, I think, is that I think it can always be safe to joke about yourself and about your own views on things. I think a, a sense of of awareness that there are limits to... Well, know your audience. And knowing I mean, your audience. I think yeah. what you're saying is know your audience. So, yeah. you know, I remember at my... Uh, this is so telling. I remember at my um, paternal grandfather's funeral, um, my grandfather was a very formal man, very um, well coiffed, well dressed. I mean, lovely man. And um, but there was a formality about him. So I remember at his funeral making some joke or somebody did. I may not be able to take credit for it that, you know, like, oh, you know. He looks a little stiff, but that's consistent with how he looked in real life yeah, or, see, you know, whatever. Funny. And, you know, I'd laugh at that. right. I'd and, laugh at that. But but at the same time, you have to know your audience and know that, you know, I was weaned on that kind of humor and that for some people, humor is a way to diffuse, yeah. you know, hurt or upset. I mean, it can be used to avoid. Yes, it can. You know, I, I think I think that matters a lot. You know, the, what are the intentions? What's the, what's the idea behind it? Or is somebody ducking something? Is somebody trying to, can't handle a difficult emotion and so they make a joke about it or, or things like that? I think that matters as well. Not all, you know, you, you can have five people tell the same joke and it's coming from five different places and three of them might come across as really hurtful, might not. I think, I think it's the thing about humor that I think is so strong about is that it can force us, even through discomfort, to take a look at things that we might not otherwise take a look at. And humor, I think, makes it a little more safe. Dave Chappelle? Yeah, right. I Mm -hmm. mean, watch any special by Dave Chappelle, and, you know, you're suddenly like... 
Daniel Sloss, same thing. Oh, Daniel Sloss. Yeah, same thing. I mean, it, it's it, it. I enjoy humor that does push the envelope. I do, even times where it makes me uncomfortable. Because then all of a sudden I go, okay, why am I uncomfortable? Is it something because that's not something you're supposed to joke about? And what does that tell me about whatever societal more is being displayed? Right. Or am I offended by something? And if I'm offended, what does that mean? Right. So, There's so much to unpack. Right. And comedy should, shows should come with like a couch. Well, and, and well, yeah. And for me, you know, and you don't I don't think anybody has to go through recovery to to have the same idea here. But I've got to be able to laugh. Right? Well, because what's the alternative? What's right? the alternative? I've got to be able to. Um, and and in community that's shared, whatever that looks like, mm-hmm. you can find common ground of what to joke about. Right. And what what works. Right. Joking at the craziness in my mind in my recovery communities. People can relate to that. Right. When I'm at when I'm in a in that athletic community, and everybody's working out, doing a class together. You can all sort of make fun of the fact that you're all wheezing like crazy. Right. You, you know? can joke. You can joke about um, right. the classic ZD dinner at the church like banquet. <laughs> right. Or the donuts at the end of church when I was a kid. Right. Oh, everybody classic. went running for the orange donut at the end. Orange donut. Yeah, it was an orange glazed donut that was like there was only one. At the end of every church service among all the other glazed donuts. As the pastor's kid, you weren't like that wasn't just a done deal? No, because as the pastor's kid, you got to let another kid have it. Right? Exactly. That's not cool. Yeah, well, you know. That's life. <laughs> okay. It, that was an interesting one. Because I can joke about so many things. I and know. A part of me feels like I ducked it. No, you didn't duck it. Okay. Well... I mean, there was a whole bunch of... Co- also, I think you and I would be making a whole bunch of jokes that were probably, like, slightly off-color. Well, <laughs> so. yeah, it's it's tough. I, you, know what, you know what came to mind when you were asking that question was I remember a handful of years ago when when uh, the film Life is Beautiful came out. Oh, yes. Such and, a good film. Yeah, and it was, you know, the story, an Italian film about the Holocaust that, that the premise of it was a father, Italian Jew, is trying to protect his son. They're getting arrested by the Germans. Mm-hmm trying to protect his son from the horrors about what's to happen. And so he turns it into a farce. Mm-hmm. And so he's acting over the top ridiculously in this situation. Mm-hmm. And the uproar was swift from a lot of different directions. And, you know, and I remember being in grad school with a lot of this going on and reading it and kind of going, okay, this perspective over here, I never thought about that. That makes sense. And then here's the counter. Well, that makes sense, too. And I remember coming out of it feeling like I just had like emotional and intellectual gunk all over me because I couldn't quite figure out what to make of it. And over time, what I realized is that maybe that's the, on some level, that's the value. It does ask those questions. To what degree is something, is that supposed to be satire? Is it supposed to be farce? Is it mm-hmm. supposed to be so absurd in a sad, in a sad way? Well, and it shows the power of learning that it's not yes, but it's yes and. Yeah. And the fact that... We have to wrestle with that. Correct. Absolutely. And, you know, you can hold two truths to be self-evident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they can have validity at the same time. Right. And, um, and oftentimes, I think sometimes where we lose each other in those is we battle so hard against one another to be right in that given situation that we miss the opportunity for context and perspective that actually might be a lot more beneficial, and I would argue usually is, to each other and to that relationship than it would be to just simply one side wins the argument and one side loses. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 
Although I always win the argument. <laughs> Keep telling yourself that. Stacey. I'm a legend in my own mind. Uh-huh. <laughs> what can I say? Right. Um, okay. Another one. What about this one? Um, does the fact that you've never done something before increase or decrease its appeal to you? It's so interesting because if you would have asked me this question three years ago, four years ago, I'd have a completely different answer to now. Now I'm wondering, now my answer is it does not. It does not dissuade me from that. Obviously anything, here's, here's my benchmark, is the thing that I'm thinking about doing, is it, is it going to hurt me or is it going to hurt somebody else? Now you're talking about things like new activities, new hobbies, that, I know, that like type of thing. No, like you immediately went to like. Well, but I'm starting that with that baseline. With something new, when I was younger, things that were new, if they were difficult and I couldn't handle them right away or I didn't show a uh, proficiency for it right away, I quit. Oh, 100%. I quit. Like, I'm still doing that and I'm 50. See, I'm not doing that as much anymore. Like, you know, it's, and really where this started for me was back in 2011, and I'm actually writing about it for this Sunday's article on my Sunday post in my, on my uh, website, was when a friend challenged me to do my first triathlon in the midst of a really tough time in my life. And that was something I never thought I would ever do. Uh, and not an Ironman, not, 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 right. not the biggie, but an Olympic distance. And I trained for a year. I had no idea what to expect. The race itself was very different than I expected. And yet I accomplished something that I never thought I would do before. And I, I saw it through in the midst of a really tough time. And that kind of has stayed with me, even though I've had a lot of ups and downs since then. These days, I'm, I'm more interested in that. Lately, um, I kind of got into boxing, believe it or not. Really? Yes. And I love it. It's like I'm like a fish in water punching this bag. I okay. mean, I kind of want to do that, actually. It's really fun. I think I have a lot of anger. Well, here's the thing. I hit the bag so hard on my first lesson that I knocked it off its moorings, and I didn't know I could punch anything that hard. And the coach said to me, Okay, we know you got power, but how about you just work on your technique so you don't break your hand or break your wrist? And it wasn't like I was hitting it because I was angry. I wasn't envisioning anybody. I wasn't doing any of those things. I was just trying to get the technique down, and and I, I just kind of went into this mode, this kind of zen-focused mode. Which is like the total opposite of zen, by the way. What? Well, like hitting a bag. Not necessarily. The I mean, it depends on the intent. Again, on the intent. I wasn't All trying right. to knock it off its moorings. I was trying to do the right technique and get a lot of power. And so for me now, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly willing. And I, I realize that my, my mother might be really unnerved to, to wonder, you know, my interest in skydiving. The answer is yes, mom. Will did that. Did he? Yes. Oh, and he, he is my risk adverse kid. I would, or I would argue. And he totally did it. And he had an amazing time and I am shocked and I love it. And for me, I think that's part of my answer about whether or not it increases or decreases the appeal of doing something. Um, oh, that, that's right. That was the question. It actually increases the, the appeal because it actually increases my likelihood of asking myself, is that something I would like to do and what would be the benefit of that for me? And I tend to usually just know, like on some core gut level, if it's something I really want to do. Yeah, like you will not find me bungee jumping off a bridge. I've already done that. Okay, nope. No interest. It was really fun. Nope. <laughs> Nope. Decrease interest. Decrease, decrease. That was a while ago. Um, okay. JD, remind everybody of your website again. It is wordsbyjdk.com. Wordsbyjdk.com. Guys, go to it. Listen to his posts. Follow him. His writing is amazing. Thank you. Um, thank you 
again to you for joining me. Oh, thanks for inviting me. This was great. I can't wait for the car ride home. Thank you, Eric. And next week, thanks, I've got Melissa Reeves of Story Fruition joining. She oh. is an executive storytelling coach. And a great storyteller. Have a great week, everybody. Stay safe.